Welcome back to Brailcast Extra, and over the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about leisure reading with refreshable braille displays. On this week's episode we're going to be talking about the various types of refreshable braille displays that are on the market, and we're going to talk about specialist braille libraries that are available to people who live in the UK. The session was recorded on Tuesday the 9th of November 2021, and introduced by Dave Williams. Good evening and a very warm welcome back to the Brailleists Foundation Masterclasses. It's great to have your company once again. And tonight is the first of a two-part masterclass where we will be exploring the topic of electronic Braille books. At the Brailleist Foundation, we know that there isn't one right way to read. What we intend to do is uh, promote multiple ways to read so that you have choices uh, about the options that work best for you. Uh, And somebody who uh, I know is hugely passionate about reading and uh, seems to get through several books a week is uh, my good friend and colleague, Sean Randall. Uh, Sean, of course, was the brains behind the uh, original um, Jota um, uh, Twitter extension for JAWS, which then uh, evolved into many popular Twitter clients that have been used around the world uh, by blind and partially sighted people to gain screen reader access to Twitter. Uh, Sean is also, uh, as I mentioned, a prodigious reader. You'll, you'll find him uh, on, uh, on on many a website, waxing lyrical. Usually, sci-fi is uh, Sean's uh, poison of, of choice, but I, I'm sure he'll he'll tell you more about that in, in a second. Um, and Sean, his professional credentials, he's also um, an IT teacher at New College Worcester. Sean, it's a pleasure to have you with us. We're really looking forward to this session tonight. Sean Randall, everybody. Thank you very much, Dave. That's a very glowing introduction. I'm not sure I'm quite worthy of all that uh, praise, but thank you for having me here. It's lovely to be here. So I'm going to just tell you a bit about me first, um, and then I'll explain about the the structure, really, of my planned sessions. Um, so let's just talk about me. I don't like talking about me, so we'll keep it brief. Um, I'm, I'm Sean, of course, Sean Randall. Unexpectedly, and, and many months early, uh, over three decades ago now, That's that's quite a scary thought. Now, I was a hugely Braille-resistant child. Um, if there happened to be anybody from my uh, home area listening, they will be shocked that I am even doing Braille uh, on any any sense, because I think the combination of them not having the books I wanted to read and me not being able to read fast was just a barrier too far, really. Um, synthetic speech was my, my trusty friend for, for many, many years. Um, it became my... Yeah, my go-to method. I spent a lot of my childhood roaming around charity shops looking for like second-hand paperback copies of books, which I would then scan into my computer page by page uh, to form eventually a copy that I could listen to using um, my robotic voices. Um, I was very lucky to have access to a very early version of HAL for, well, originally it was DOS and then for Windows, uh, and the the fabulous tones of of the voice that uh, was very similar to the hardware synthesizers of the time on the Dolphin Apollo, I think I had an Apollo and a Gemini, uh, kept me company uh, while I used software to scan my books in. Um, and so it was very rare to find a Braille copy of something I wanted to read. Um, I didn't have any form of Braille technology. Um, I didn't have a, a note taker. My sole Braille way of working was a Perkins. Um, and that was it. So Braille was something you did at school on the Perkins that somebody would often have to you know, mark and correct or that somebody would transcribe into print and then get a teacher to look at. Uh, it was a very separate thing. It was a, a bit of a, um, a gap between me and the sighted world almost. It was one of those things that I felt sort of was a, a real barrier. And, um, and that was then. Uh, and now, as an adult... Nothing comes close, really, to the ability to be able to sit in silence after a loud day at work, you know, with dogs jingling all over the place. Thank you for the well-timed sound effect there, dog. Um, you know, people's technology making noises, being in a busy school environment. Nothing at all comes close to the ability to switch off your ears, you know, because the silence is, is refreshing. And it's it's magical because now I don't have to wait for a book to arrive that's been manually transcribed six months after everybody else has finished with it. 
you know. Now I can buy a book on the day it comes out. I don't have to have uh, a, a queue, a request system in place uh, to wait. I don't get told, oh, you can have a chapter if we have time. Uh, and it was that drip-feeding me reading material that was my, my big problem as a child. Um, and that's something that uh, that's no longer the case. Can anybody at all, I, I know we're not taking questions, but it'd be interesting if anybody wants to just raise a hand to say they can they can relate to that. Is that something anyone else has experienced? So uh, probably won't take any questions, but maybe a quick straw poll. Uh, if that's something that you've uh, experienced, then uh, give your hand a bit of a raise. Alt Y on Windows, Option Y on Mac, Star 9 on the telephone, or more than raise hands using the app. And uh, we have uh, we have a few hands. Uh, Christo uh, agrees. Carla agrees. Mary, uh, Paulette, they're, they're, they're coming in thick and fast. Oh, see, it's good. Thank you, Ben. That's... That's wonderful, isn't it? And uh, and phone number ending in uh, five nine six as well uh, uh, is identifying with that. Lovely, thank you, Ben. I thought to put you on the spot, Ben. I should have given oh, you some no, no problem at all. It's uh, what the moderator's for. <laughs> well, um, so yes, the, this the, the whole atmosphere changed for me when I began to embrace Braille as a tool. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I still can't read as fast as I can listen. Um, my text to speech speed is is ridiculous. Um, Oh, I just saw Ellie Clark's hand as well. Thank you, Ellie. Um, and I, I had um, a really difficult time with this as a child because I felt that Braille was slowing me down. Um, I was never as fast as the sighted people. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I think text-to-speech and computer audio helped me keep up. And now I can speed read faster than an average sighted person. Um, I'm a big science fiction fan, as Dave alluded to, and one of my secret guilty pleasures when I was a, a sort of teenager, slightly older teenager perhaps, was enjoying the novelizations that people wrote of, of Star Trek books and other types of series. But what would be a two hour, two and a half hour read for a sighted person in my audio speed might be a 45 minute job, which is the same sort of length as an episode of a, of a TV show. Um, and so that was one of the abilities that I, I had to plough through books at such a high speed. Um, it's not always the way you want to read. Sometimes you need to sit in and take in the words, and I gradually began to appreciate that more with uh, with reading Braille. Um, so like I say, you know, I can't read as fast, but I can get the book the same day as a sighted person using very similar technologies. I, I always have both options now. I can read or listen. I can mix and match. I can read a bit, listen to a bit. I can listen to a bit and go back and read a bit. I can flip and, you know, jump between, and that's that's amazing. And no matter what type of material I'm reading, you know, whether it's a library book that I've borrowed or whether it's something I've saved up for and bought because I'm excited to read it, you know, whether it's a newspaper or a magazine or even a, a long blog post or a social media post that someone's written, you know, my fingers or ears are always there to work together, you know, for work or, or leisure or anything in between. And Sometimes the lines do blur. I work in technology and I enjoy technology. And so sometimes it's hard to know where the rabbit hole of reading will leave you. So that's my my sort of technological slash Braille background. I got into refreshable Braille very late. Um, I'd not used note takers or anything at school. Uh, and it wasn't until I suppose I began to meet other blind people that I knew what refreshable Braille was. Um, it, it was a bit of a jolt to my worldview, I suppose, that Braille wasn't just this static thing on paper that was the thing that separated me from my sighted peers. It was something more flexible, more robust. And uh, now, just as a snapshot of my sort of average week, I might use Braille for labelling you know, food items around the home. I might use Braille when playing cards with my daughter. I might use Braille when doing computer games. Um, it's quite nice to fly an aeroplane and read the, the distance to my destination on the Braille display as I'm flying the aircraft with my other hand. Um, I use Braille at work for taking notes. I use Braille when presenting and giving speeches, as I'm doing now. I've got my one hand on the, on the Braille display with a, a clock in one corner and the text of my notes under the other fingers, and that's, that's brilliant, you know. So that's where Braille comes in. And, of course, the reading side. Um, I, I didn't mention that because I thought it was obvious, but perhaps it doesn't. <laughs> it's not so obvious that uh, a lot of my my fiction is consumed with Braille as as an, an aid and a method of reading. 
the final session, we're going to spend the whole slot looking at mainstream reading solutions, the ones that aren't designed for us as blind people, the ones that are made for everybody else, but we just happen to be able to use, uh, whether by design or accident. And we'll talk about all their accessibility quirks and foibles uh, and about the pros and cons of each of them. So that's going to be the session next time. And I must say, in terms of quantity of material or variety of material, that is where the Braille technology truly shines, because it means that we combine specialist hardware, such as a Braille display, with mainstream software, such as, for example, Kindle. And you put those two together and you have brilliant access. So the session two weeks from today will be covering those tools. And uh, just as today, there will be a handout coming out with all the links and information and there'll be a recording as well. But I'd love to have your company in person to take questions. So that's going to be the thrust of the final session in two weeks time. This week and tonight, the focus is going to be on the variety of braille equipment on the market, how they compare with each other, the, the good things and not so good things about each of them. Uh, and then uh, we'll just touch on the specialist libraries and resources that we have access to within the blind and vision impaired community. So I'm going to dive straight in and talk about braille equipment, if you like, braille hardware that we would use to read. Uh, then we'll have a, a break for questions. And we'll talk a little bit after those questions about the the blind and visually impaired specialist library services and, and such that we can access. And we'll take more questions before we finish, which will take us up to hopefully about 8.30 if I've planned my timings right. Um, and that's the, going to be the end of this session. So, Braille technology. Um, as you can imagine, for a poor, uh, unsophisticated little Welsh lad, seeing all this magical Braille text, seeing the dots move up and down rather than being stuck on paper was a miracle for me. Um, and yet... Being a bit of a geek, um, I was also quite disheartened at the the way in which the technology was, was paired up with computing power. So on the one hand, you'd have this miracle Braille display, which could show you anything in the world uh, that you could access on, online or whatever it might be. And then on the other hand, it would be tied to a, another piece of technology that was so old and outdated that you couldn't actually do much with it. Um, and so my introduction to Braille technology was slightly bumpy because I had the, the wow factor of this Braille is actually moving uh, combined with, oh, you can't use it to go online and, and you know, the, read the subtitles on your videos, for example, which is something I've always wanted to do when watching films that aren't in English. And it was something that when I got hold of my first piece of Braille kit, I thought, yes. And of course, it, it didn't support the video playback on, on the uh, website I wanted to use. So that was a slight letdown. Um, I've tried to group the the generations of Braille technology somewhat. I think we've seen a bit of a shift. Um, and I, I've put them into four epochs or four eras of Braille technology. Uh, I'm not going back terribly far. Um, I'm not really doing them in terms of dating specifically, but in terms of feature set. Um, and I'll explain that more in, in a second. Uh, before I dive into my four categories, though, there are some devices that just fall out of the, the whole mould. Uh, and those are things like Braille embossers. Uh, traditionally, those are very expensive and they produce Braille on paper, obviously, um, which is not really the idea of, of an e-book. Um, and yet, in the print world, in the sighted world, there is a, a POD, a print-on-demand service, um, which over the last 15 years or so, alongside the growth of ebooks, has also seen a growth. And what this basically means is that rather than an author and publisher producing a book and having stacks of it ready to be sold, um, you can probably guess where this is going, can't you? It's printed on demand. So when someone buys one, a specialist book printing company will produce a copy for that person and post it to them um, as an online purchase. And that got me thinking about, even though I wasn't planning on talking about paper, hang on, is there some relevance to using paper braille here? Um, we all, I'm assuming, are, or at least most of us are aware that the RNIB Library, the National Library Service, has has moved um, toward using recyclable braille now. Uh, and I suppose what's good for the goose is, is good for the gander. If they can recycle their books, then maybe it's not so bad that we produce um, 
more paper. If you think about it, um, printing Braille, or embossing Braille, I suppose is the more technical term, um, is quite environmentally friendly in as much as there's no ink or toner being used. Um, yeah, I don't for a moment think that Braille embossers are carbon neutral, um, but they are also very mechanical devices. They don't uh, they don't do much other than produce dots and a bit of hot air. Uh, and there are some some circumstances where having Braille on paper is is essential. And also, um, if you think about it, there's a lot of potential for adaptation on paper. So when people said to me when I was a child, you can have a chapter you know, on paper if we've got time, they meant if we've got time to sit at our Perkinses and hammer it out. You know, and they would literally divide up, I'm sure, um, you know, 15, 20 pages of a print book to four or five pages a pop uh, by hand and give them to me. That would have been what they would have meant by the phrase, we can give you a chapter. If I've got somebody um, who I'm teaching, perhaps, who is wanting to learn Braille, and I say, well, how far have you gotten? And they say, well, I've done some of these contractions, but not that, not that set yet, you know. Um, often I am unable to say to them, why don't you read it on a Braille display? Because the Braille display will either show them fully contracted Braille or completely uncontracted Braille. So when I say to them, oh, I can give you a chapter, what I mean is I can take part of the book they want to read, I can run it through a Braille translation package um, using only the specified learning table that they've reached. So if, if they've not completed the Braille code, they won't have fully contracted Braille, you know, and then emboss that off for them and staple it together or ring bind it together. And voila, they've got a custom chapter of a book using only the Braille they've learned. So um, to me, that's that's a pretty cool thing, because one of the again, going back to my my childhood, the stuff I wanted to read wasn't there. If I could have had the stuff printed off um, with the precision I wanted whilst learning Braille, I think that would have been a huge motivator. And I'm not for a moment suggesting we should all have our Braille books produced to our exacting standards. Um, my my wife happens to like reading um, standard English Braille, not UEB, with without capitals, for example. That's her, her you know her preferred uh, Braille reading scheme. Um, I'm not saying that every book in the world could be offered in every format, not by a long shot. But equally, if we do have the ability to take a book and produce it that way for her, and that's what she wants to read, why shouldn't we do that? So I didn't want to leave embossers out of the equation. And I will, of course, provide uh, more general links. But one of the devices I want to mention is the, the Cosmo, which is a, it's a single sheet embosser um, slash electronic Perkins. Um, it's, it's not the quietest or cheapest or speediest machine. Um, but it's the sort of thing that if you had to produce six or seven pages of Braille for a bit of practice reading, um, you could do that. Um, I'm, I don't rate digital Perkin style devices very much at the moment on the market. I, I think there is a lot of uh, scope for improvement and we can talk about that maybe next week in an aside. But the Cosmo, um, which is I believe sold by Technovision Systems, um, is a very handy tool for producing small amounts of Braille if you can't afford an embosser uh, on paper. And combined with something like Duxbury, you know, the Braille translation software, you can produce Braille at the right level for your comprehension. And you know whether you've got a child learning Braille or you're someone who needs to learn Braille themselves and hasn't yet finished the course, um, not many of the Braille devices that we're going to talk about will let you adjust the Braille so precisely. Um, there is scope for some of it, some of them to do that, and I'll talk about a bit more about that as we get there. Um, but I wanted just to mention the... Uh, the embossing aspect, because I hadn't really given it much thought. Um, rashly and perhaps naively in my youth, I said to myself, oh, we don't need paper anymore. Let's go digital. You know, run ahead, full steam. Uh, and now I'm thinking, hang on a minute, paper may have its place in certain situations after all. So that's my waffle on embossing. And um, if you've got questions about that, hold them and we'll talk about that in a minute. So my four generations of braille displays okay i'm not going to go into particular models here but i want to just talk about what i call the four sort of epochs of, of braille display technology so your first batch your first generation braille displays are those that are to quote the the computer vernacular dumb terminals um, that means they are input and output devices only they may have a keyboard they will definitely have a braille display or a strip of braille dots on them because that's what they're for. Um, what they lack is what came along in the second generation, memory. So 
you can plug them into something or wirelessly connect them to something and they will show information from the thing they are connected to, be it a phone or a laptop or a computer or a TV or anything like that these days. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you could connect a Braille display to your washing machine in the near future. It's probably coming. Um, but regardless of what you connect them to, when they are not receiving information from or sending information to a device, they are that they don't do anything on their own. So when I talk to sighted parents about this, and I have parents of young children coming through the school at New College quite a lot, I, I say to them, imagine this type of device as a combination screen and keyboard. You know, if you take your screen and keyboard out of your computer, all you've got is something to look at and something to press. There's no processing in the middle. And that is my first generation um, type of Braille display. Now, of course, these devices aren't overly suited for reading Braille ebooks on their own because the book's got nowhere to be. It would be like trying to read your email sat at your desk with your screen turned on but your computer powered off. There'd be nothing to read. It wouldn't work. Um, that's not to say you can't do it. Um, there, obviously, if you've got your your Braille display connected to something else, like like we said, like a phone or a computer or a tablet, that is um, going to work and you are going to be able to read a book. Um, but by by far uh, the more common uh, generation now are the second generation of braille displays. These are the ones with some memory of their own. So not only can they connect to things and show you some braille and take some input, but they can also keep things inside themselves. They've got uh, a rudimentary type of of memory um, or, or thinking power, if you like. And these type of devices, when I say memory inside, I don't necessarily mean completely inside. So I class things such as, I'm going to drop products in here now, specific products. So, so the original Orbit Reader 20, um, I would class that in, in my sort of chronology as a second generation display. Not so much because it's old, it's, it's quite new in comparison, but because it has memory of its own um, in the form of a memory card. So I'm not saying the memory has to be completely inside the device. You can put a memory card in your orbit and use it standalone, use it without anything else. You can read a book on your orbit without it being connected to anything else when you've put that book inside it somehow. Um, and this is where um, the first generation displays start to fall a bit short because as lovely as it is to read a book sat at my desk, it's even lovelier to be able to do it in a garden chair or you know, with my knees up in bed without having to be dependent on another device. Um, there have been occasions when I've been reading with a Bluetooth connection to my computer and I've taken my braille display downstairs or into another room or two and I've started to get dropouts and I thought, this stupid thing, battery must be going or something, you know, it's, it's been used for too long. And what's really happened, of course, is that the connection strength between the two devices has, has faded with distance and I've been noticing the dropping out. So um, moving away from the, the first generation terminal devices to displays with memory was uh, was a big thing. The third generation is what I classify as displays with built-in translation. So the big um, downside, I suppose, to things like the Orbit 20, the original Orbit, were that they could only read Braille files. Most people, average Joe on the street, doesn't have a whole hard drive full of Braille files lying around. Um, they're something you have to produce or have produced for you. Um, and so the next obvious step is to take the software that makes Braille files out of Word documents, for example, out of web pages, out of ebooks, whatever it may be, and put that software on the Braille display itself. So then you can put other things on there. You can put your text documents, your text files, your Word documents or anything else and make them Braille. And finally, the fourth generation, we aren't here yet. This is coming. So what I see as will be the next uh, step of Braille display access will be the sorts of devices that not only let you read a book um, from, uh, you know, from a different format. So if you've not got it as a Braille file, that doesn't matter. They will also let you read a Braille book that you don't have yet. So they will let you go online and download that book or they will deliver that newspaper to your device when it wakes up in the morning. And, and that's what we are seeing with some more modern devices. Um, so for example, the humanware 
brilliant uh, series of devices has the ability to be part of your Wi-Fi network at the moment. And that's not overly useful in the UK at, at the present time because we don't have an interface uh, library for it to interface with and talk to that works here. But it's coming um, and it's quite feasible that over the coming 6, 12, 18 months, um, there will be work done. That means you will be able to turn on your Braille display, not a fully-fledged note-taker or a fully-fledged computer, just a Braille display of some sort, um, and access an online bookshelf which is updated with newspapers, periodicals, books that you've pre-ordered. You know, my ideal world would be, be to be able to read, to have a, a Braille device the size and, you know, shape, perhaps, and, and with the discretion of a sighted person's Kindle, with the connection to the, the internet that the Kindles have, such that if, I, if I've bought a book that is coming out next week and I'm on holiday, and I've not taken my, any of my technology. I imagine that. That's not really imaginable, is it? But, you know, the sort of dream, I suppose, of the fourth generation devices will be that's all you need to get new content as well as read your old. So that's my four uh, levels of Braille tech as to where it currently stands. And um, I wanted to sow the, the seeds of those and to lay the groundwork because we were talking about um, using some of them in different ways, both now and in, in the next session. So I spent more time on that than perhaps seems logical. I will, we, we do have 25 minutes to go. Um, so we'll take some some questions for a few minutes. And I do want to just touch on the um, the libraries we have access to before we finish uh, this session. But that's that's where I think we'll pause for some questions, if that's all right with you. Thank you for that, Sean. Great, uh, great content so far. And uh, as Sean says, we'll take some questions now about different Braille devices. I can see Ellie has her hand raised already. So we're going to come to Ellie first. And after Ellie, we're going to come to a question in the chat. Uh, Ellie, you are good to go. Okay. Um... Which of your categories would the Braille Note Touch go into? Because that's, does it really count as a Braille display? Because it's kind of got a bit of a mind of its own. That's a very good question, Ellie. Yeah, I think note takers do fall off the category thing a little bit, don't they? Um, I was sort of thinking more of Braille displays, a bit like embossers. Yeah, Braille note takers are a, a bit of everything. Um, they can do a lot more. Um, so I will mention them specifically. I think the Braille Note and the Braille Sense uh, are the real contenders, aren't they? Um, so, but yes, they don't really fit into those generationals because they are more than Braille displays. They are proper computers in, in, in some ways in their own right. Yeah. Great question uh, from you there, Ellie. I'm um, going to come to a couple of questions in the chat. Russell uh, wants to know what your opinions of the L Braille IR. Sure. Oh, Russell, I could do a whole session on the L Braille and maybe if the Braillers will have me back, I will because I love and hate it, <laughs> which is no answer at all, is it? I love the idea of the L Braille. I love the form factor. I love the fact that it's running Windows, which is mainstream and very good. What I hate about the L Braille is the fact that the way they've made it so that you have to have 25 fingers on both hands to control it with JAWS is really complicated. Um, and so I will gladly um, wax for many, many minutes about the L Braille, perhaps in, in the bar when it's a bit less um, about reading. But as a as a computer, the L Braille's got great potential because the L Braille takes what's best about the Braille Note, which is its small size, long battery life, and portability, and marries it to what's best about a laptop, which is running a mainstream operating system using mainstream apps, etc. So hopefully that's given you a bit of something to go on. And uh, a, a quick follow up question from Milton, actually. Um, do um, in in a sentence or two, do you have a, a go to uh, refreshable Braille display? <laughs> Bit of a loaded one, isn't it? But what 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 would you say if if you had to pick one? If I was recommending one for someone going off to university, which is where I've been sending people lately because of my job. Um, I would say it's a bit of a toss-up between the Brilliant and the Focus. And I'm leaning slightly more toward the Brilliant because of ease of use at the moment. So it's the HumanWare Brilliant BI40. Uh, there you have it, Milton. Um, last question for this segment, and then we'll come to some more later. And I guess this probably brings us uh, on to your next topic uh, slightly, Sean. Uh, Catherine in the chat wants to know if anyone has used Bookshare. That's bookshare.org. Wonderful. That it leads me in beautifully to my next uh, segment. So should we talk about... The, I'll do the next segment now, which I think will take sort of 10, yeah, 15 so, minutes and then we'll good. wrap up. Okay. So um, so this, this, we've covered, not comprehensively by any means, but we've covered the types of devices that you might encounter. So you'll have 
one of those generations of braille display that I talked about. You'll have an embosser or you'll have a note taker if, if you're looking for some sort of braille kit. Um, it's very hard to think of another device, although I'm so sure, <laughs> sure somebody will think of one in a minute, um, apart from uh, that list that doesn't sort of fit really. Um, either it's a braille note taker of some description, um, things like the L braille, the braille note, the braille sense. Um, either it's a braille display, which fall into one of those four categories that I talked about, or it's a braille embosser, which will give you braille on paper. So all of those devices can utilize um, braille files. So where do we get braille files from? That's the next question, isn't it? Where do we get our media? Um, and and the whole point of tonight's session was just to basically run through the, the options that are ours by virtue of our disabilities. Okay. Um, the RNIB, of course, being our de facto national charity for blindness, I suppose, are naturally the ones who lead the pack here. Um, so they have, under their umbrella, and if anybody from RNIB wants to leap out at me and say boo and tell me I'm wrong, we can do that later. Uh, but my understanding is that they have RNIB reading services, which is one uh, particular book retrieval platform, they have the National Newspapers and Magazines Service. They have RNIB Bookshare, which is different to Bookshare itself. So that there's two different types of Bookshare, aren't there? Um, so the RNIB have those three, reading services, magazines and newspapers, and RNIB Bookshare. Um, I think they are separate. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure even if they share a lot of commonalities, their aims are different. Um, I was going to talk about reading services first, but let's talk about the original Bookshare then. So Bookshare started off in, in the US um, as, a, as a charitable thing, and it's free to all Americans, and it provides downloadable books, and it's got thousands and thousands of them. It's got deals with libraries, um, and you can get books from there in a variety of formats. Um, the format question is interesting um, because... We talked about the newer Braille displays having support for a wider range of formats. So, for example, the Brilliant and the Focus uh, 40, I believe, can now support not just Braille files, but Word documents. Um, the Orbit 20 and 40, but 20 plus and 40, sorry, can read text files as well as Braille files. So it's not just Braille files anymore. You can download different types of material. Um, Bookshare in America spread to the UK. Um, the content used to be quite limited. Um, I think and I hope that the, the signing of the, the Marrakesh Treaty would have expanded the content available. Um, so Bookshare.org, the UK arm of Bookshare, is still um, a paid service in the UK. It's I think it's still 50 US dollars, uh, $50 a year, I believe. Um, for a subscription and I don't have the full number of, of, of books uh, available. Um, I will make sure the handout that I provide uh, along with the, the recording of, of the episode here is um, fully up to date with numbers. So I'm, I've just queried them last week and I'm waiting for responses from all these people about exact numbers in their libraries. Uh, but you do have to pay for access to Bookshare UK and I'm, I'm fairly certain there'll be some books you can't get um, in Braille from them because they are still tied to their American publishers. Then we have RNIB Bookshare. Now, this is the education platform. Um, so if you are a student or if you work with students or if you um, if you are a parent of a student, even um, you will have the right to ask your school to be a part of RNIB Bookshare. So even though my daughter is fully sighted, we asked our school to sign up to RNIB Bookshare so we as her parents could access the materials. Um, it started with lots of educational materials and the RNIB have been very good at publicising it to content producers and publishers and RNIB Bookshare now has quicker access to many mainstream books. Um, my wife is a big fan of the, the cookery books that she can look at with my daughter on there um, and, and you can get them almost as quickly as you buy them commercially. So that's brilliant. It's a bit like how you know, Audible has taken over in, in the audiobook stakes. RNIB Bookshare has, has done wonders for reading if you're a student um, or if you're in education. And uh, so that's really good. And they have some um, BRF files that have been produced by people in schools and people studying and some that have been auto-translated. And we'll talk a bit more about that auto-translation in a minute. Then uh, let's just tick off NTNM. So National Talking Newspapers and Magazines 
uh, RNV have a service where you can subscribe to that for an annual fee. Um, Educational Bookshare is free. Uh, National Newspapers and Magazines, I think it's about £40 a year. Certainly it was last time I renewed, but that was a little while ago now. Um, but that gives you daily access to regional, local newspapers, magazines, etc. And um, you can download them in a variety of formats as well. So I would really encourage anybody with interest in any sort of news or politics to have a look at their offerings. Um, they've also got a lot of entertainment magazines. Um, again, my darling wife is often to be hidden between the pages of BBC Easy Cook or BBC Good Food. Um, uh, and I, I like the local newspaper and I like some of the techie magazines from there. Finally, we have reading services. Um, this is the sort of combination, really, of the RNIB's audiobook system, which used to be on um, CD for a long time, then went to Memory Stick. And this is the online version of that. This has replaced Overdrive. Uh, and because I suppose they are now recycling more of their books and producing them on demand, we are getting an increased level of access uh, to the Braille copies of those books online. Um, so there are several thousand now, um, uh, many thousands actually, a growing number of, of digital Braille books on reading services that you can download. Uh, reading services is free to anybody in the UK with a visual impairment. And if you have any of the Braille devices um, that I've categorized earlier on today, and you've got a Braille file from reading services, you can use it um, use that braille device to read it. If you've got a very old device that doesn't have much memory, you know, much of a brain, you may have to read the braille file with the device attached to your computer or your, or, you know, other device. Uh, but everything from second generation onward supports BRF files, which is a, basically a braille file that you would otherwise have embossed, I suppose is the nutshell version of BRF file. And reading services have many thousands of those. Uh, they are increasing all the time. And it's, it's a wonderful resource because um, you will get access to more and more as, as time goes on. Um, it's only been going, um, I don't know the exact time, not very long, comparatively long. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not quite, is it maybe not 18 months old? Uh, but in any event, it's not been going for as long as talking books. And yet already we are into the, you know, the four figures of content, which is brilliant. Um, there are other small resources for Braille content. Um, the National Accessible Library that was formerly called the Seeing Ear, for example, they hand out uh, Word document copies of books and they've got a, a reasonable number and they haven't added any recently, so I don't know whether they, they're still going. Um, I need to talk to Tony um, about that. Um, I've, again, I've asked him for a comment for my, my summary and my handout, so don't all go and pester poor Tony um, with questions until you've got the handout, but that was a, a contender in the space for a while. Um, and then there are specialist sources of BRF, um, things like Bibles, which you can download from various online places, almanacs, um, for people who still use those. Um, I had a gentleman a couple of years ago who was very keen on finding a way of getting braille tide tables. Um, I don't know if he was a fisherman or if he was just interested, but uh, or if he was going out with his braille display on a canoe, who knows? But um, BRF files can be used for all sorts of specialist purposes. And I should, sorry, I forgot to mention uh, Braille Music, of course, as a plug for reading services. There's also a lot of Braille Music in there. That is pretty much it, I think, for big content providers. It, that's pretty much where we are in terms of um, access for, you know, not, not mainstream access, but specialist access. So, uh, and the other point I want to just make, um, we are rapidly closing in on the end of my time here with you tonight, um, but I wanted to just talk about the format issue. So second generation braille machines with memory. So things like the Orbit uh, Reader 20, the original Orbit Reader 20, um, the the original version of the, of the new Focus, which only had support for BRF, um, braille displays from Euro Braille, um, braille displays from some of the manufacturers. They have memory on board, but they only read braille files. So as a rule, the the Braille files have to be pre-translated. Um, and this does cause its own series of problems as well. So I was thinking of, for example, when I was reading a book uh, a couple of weekends ago, I had it in UEB with full caps. And if I wanted to share a chapter with my wife, if that had been a BRF file, she would have had no choice but to read it in that way because the Braille would have been pre-translated. If I downloaded, uh, let's say, for example, a an EPUB file on my L Braille, and I was reading it using the L Braille, I could have told the screen reader, um, change the Braille table to something else. And she could have read the chapter that I wanted her to read in her Braille 
uh, code of choice. You can't do that with a BRF. Um, I liken the BRF um, to an audiobook in, in one simple way, is that when you've got it on the CD or on the download in your hand, you can't change it. It's done. Um, and it's it's however it is then. So whether it's been converted well or badly, whether it's been converted to great, you know, contracted braille or uncontracted braille, a BRF file is is unchanging until you retranslate it. A bit like an audiobook. When they've read it, they've read it, haven't they? And they can't go back and reread it. Um, a different type of document um, that is translated either by software on your computer or by a third generation Braille device like the Orbit 20 Plus or the Brilliant or the L Braille or anything like that, they can take a source document and turn it into Braille on the fly. So they'll take a, a mainstream type of file, a Word document or a text file or an ebook, and make it into Braille. Um, and it's it's those mainstream files that um, give you the widest possible access, um, which is what we'll come to, to next week. Um, broadly speaking, before we, we take questions, Reading Services provides more BRF, um, and those are pre-translated and you can't change them, whereas the Seeing Ear, uh, Bookshare, and RNAB Bookshare has a wider variety of formats, so you can choose to have a, a file and retranslate it yourself. There are free Braille packages for Windows and Mac and Linux and that work by email that will let you send a file to be Braille translated and, and have back. They're not perfect, um, but as a rule, it's it's plain BRF out of RNAB reading services uh, and more flexibility from the other places in terms of the format they give you um, to sum up the where we are with uh, reading services in the UK provided by specialist providers. Uh, thank you, Ben. Uh, questions, I think. Thank you, Sean, for a uh, for a great uh, session there. Definitely lots to take in, and uh, we we have a, a few questions uh, already. Going to come to Peg uh, in a moment or two, but first a question from Jeff in the chat, who is wondering if it's possible to resume where you left off when reading a book on Bookshare without setting a bookmark. Oh. Good question from Jeff. Uh, very much depends on what you're using to read it with. Um, if you're using, uh, if you've got a Braille file out of Bookshare and you're using it on, on a Braille display of your own choosing, then that depends on the Braille display. Their online reading platform um, it, it has been a bit quirky in the past. Um, and similarly, things like Dolphin Easy Reader are, are pretty good on some platforms and not so good on others. So I'm afraid the answer is it all depends on what you're reading it with. I'm, I'm afraid I can't be more specific than that at the moment. No problem. Thanks for that, Jeff. Great question. Uh, we're going to come to Peg now. And after Peg, we're going to go to uh, someone who's dialed in on the phone, telephone number ending in 517. Uh, Peg, you are now unmuted. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And this has been a wonderful uh, presentation. I was just curious to know about the RNIB Reading Services resource. Um, that's free to the people in the UK. Um, how much would it cost for people in Canada or the US or in other places to subscribe to it? Or is it available to people outside the UK? Oh, that's a very good question. I don't believe it's an international thing. Um, I would have ah, to double check okay. that for you, Peg, but I will make that note in my uh, handout. I've, I've made a note to, to provide a note um, of that, um, but I'm so, afraid I yeah. don't think it's into the international Oh, thing. and and the UI. This is Dave. Should I? Can I just come in on Dave, that? So you. yeah. So um, Sean, Sean is correct. It uh, it is because of the way it's uh, funded. Peg. It's um, a uh, it is a UK service. However, mm -hmm. all is not lost. Um, were you to contact if there was something in there that you wanted? So if you went on the website and you did a search and there was something you wanted specifically, um, then I would urge you to contact CNIB. Um, and, and have them contact reading services um, because I think one of the things that, that RNIB are keen to explore is to uh, arrange a you know a kind of a reciprocal arrangement between the reading services and uh, you know and other libraries um, around the world. But Bookshare itself, as, as as has been mentioned in the chat just there, is is an international uh, service and is probably available to you. But if there was something on reading services that you couldn't get through Bookshare, yeah. uh, then then I would take the library. Uh, route and, and get them to to contact reading services okay oh thank you um that's that's good too so just what's my my screen is talking to me i can't there is the is the um 
RNIB itself, the library, the RNIB library, is accessible to people outside the UK or, or no? So, so not directly, um, but, no. it, but it may be via your library. So that's the point. So contact your national library um, uh, and, and find out through them uh, if they have an agreement with um, RNIB. And if they don't, um, then maybe we could make one. Thank you for that, Peg. Uh, definitely a few other people with that question, though, I'm sure. Uh, Going to come to the uh, phone number ending in 517 now. And after 517, we're going to come to Steve Pulley. Uh, 517, you are now unmuted. This is Mary Beth, and I'm from the US. And I just wanted to make two quick comments. Thank you, by the way, so much for this. This is a great series. Um, actually, Bookshare is not free to all people in the US. Um, some cooperating libraries have made agreements with it, but we, we, we have to ante up, um, most of us anyway, the 50 American dollars, which is a an admittedly um, very inexpensive price for what you get because the last time I saw any one of those uh, little bulletins from Bookshare, they had um, over a million books. Wow. And, thank you, Mary and, Beth. Um, that's, that's kind. Thank hopefully you, you guys me. will that's be great. able to access them too. Thank you so much. Yeah, and if we're trading uh, numbers, the the UK collection, Sean, uh, has uh, about 750,000 titles. Gosh. It's so quick, isn't it? It's ever expanding. Uh, thank you, Mary Beth. I appreciate the correction. Um, obviously, my bookshare using American contact is very lucky. and <laughs> Maybe maybe their parents pay for it. I don't know. Thank you for that, Mary. Uh, great, great comment. And we're going to come to Steve Pulley now. And after Steve, we're going to come to Deborah Thomas. Uh, Steve, you are good to go. Hi there, and uh, thanks a lot for the, the session. It's been great to hear. Um, you mentioned briefly uh, specialist um, resources, uh, one of them being the um, Bibles. There's um, a resource, www.bartimaeus.us, um, and that's got a lot of uh, stuff, mostly in BRF files, um, about the um, Greek and uh, Hebrew languages behind the Bible, both the texts themselves and also the um, primers and stuff to try and learn it. Um, I'm struggling somewhat to learn it. It's not straightforward, but it's it's great fun and very interesting. So if anyone's interested in Gosh, those kind of thank things. Thank you, Steve. That's really interesting. And of course, I never considered the the difficulty that, that languages would pose in the sort of translation process. Um, Braille technology is very geared to the Western world. If you're trying to do something in, in BRF that is uh, somewhat off the beaten path, then you'd want the BRF direct, wouldn't you, to get the full experience of that. So that's a really good point. Thank yeah. you. I'll, I'll add Bartimaeus to my, my handout. With, with uh, um, uh, Thanks for your contribution, Steve. That's brilliant. Thank you for that, Steve. Sorry to uh, chivvy people uh, along a little bit. We're going to come to a question from Khalid. Khalid makes the the interesting point that um, if a sighted person reads a Kindle book, they can uh, adjust things like colour and margins on the fly. Um, and Khalid is wondering uh, whether we will ever, or, or can you currently, uh, do similar things on a Braille display? So I guess he's talking about, um, you know, sort of translating into different Braille tables. Yeah, interesting point. Um, obviously, Braille is a, is a monospace thing, so all dots are the same size. Um, there are ways. So, for example, I have hacked my Braille display in a, in a probably a way that the manufacturers don't recommend to always keep the uh, minutes past the hour on one edge of my display. So I've got the very edge of my display, regardless of what I'm reading on it at the moment, 28, and that will change to 29 by the time I'm finished speaking. Um, in terms of changing uh, Braille codes and things, some of them do. So like I mentioned, uh, if you put a, a book on to the brilliant line of displays, you can go into the settings and say, I now want to read this in grade one rather than grade two, and it will flip. Um, I think the technology is coming and it will only increase as, as the years go on. Yeah. Sounds uh, sounds promising to me. And uh, last but by no means least for tonight, uh, Deborah, you are good to go. Okay. Uh, hello, it's it's Deborah in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. It's been a wonderful uh, discussion. I got into it a little bit late, but I got a very silly question for you here. Um, can I have the Focus 40 blue fifth generation 
and I'm still learning how to use it. Um, but what I wondered is, can you download um, uh, eBooks on the on this type of uh, focus? I've never tried it. Ah, well, yes, you can. Um, okay. The the there is a section in the manual which explains how to put it into a file transfer mode rather than braille display okay. mode. Oh, I'm lousy um, at reading when, manuals. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. When, I when, to, yeah. yeah. When you've done that, the, the braille display shows up in your computer as a drive and you can then copy files that you downloaded onto there. And if they're in the right form, uh, like a, a braille BRF file, you can then read them on there as if it were anything else you'd written on the displays. Nope. Nope. Hope that's useful, Deborah. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Sean, as well. I think all that's left for me to do now is to hand over to Dave to wrap up. Thank you, Sean, for your time this evening. We really appreciate that. And thank you, Ben, for your help with the moderation. And thank you to all of you uh, for coming along and for your questions. But from myself, Dave Williams, Chair of the Braillers Foundation and the rest of the team, until next time, bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Braillecast Extra. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Braillecast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere on your smart speaker. For the latest information about future Brailists events and how to join live, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter at brailists.org slash newsletter slash sign up. You can also visit our events page at brailists.org slash events. If you have comments on this recording or suggestions of topics or guests for future events, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find the Braylists on Twitter at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. We welcome new listeners and live participants alike, so if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. The costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.